Well, we're looking at the story of the Exodus. Uh, it is the story of Israel leaving the land of Egypt and going into the promised land. And we're looking at the patterns and plans that were in place to get them from here to there. To get them from Egypt where they were in slavery, where they were in bondage, to get them to the promised land where they would be free. And at the same time, we're looking at our own lives and we're saying, what does it take to get us from where we are today to a place of greater peace, a place of greater possibilities, a place of greater commitment to God? Now, a couple weeks ago, I asked you the question, when was the last time you did something for the first time, and I got a lot of great responses. One person said, I tried sushi for the first time. Good for you. I'm glad somebody tried sushi. Another person said they went zip lining for the first time, and that was a great response. One of you said, I got a scooter, uh, that you'd, you'd been blessed with a scooter. Did you drive the scooter to church today? It was 25 degrees when I got up this morning, and I was thinking, I bet Donna's not on that scooter today. Uh, but you, in, in so many of your responses, there was this sense of accomplishment, the sense that you had overcome something and that it had boosted your confidence. I wondered about that question. When was the last time you did something for the first time? And I wondered if, what would happen if we asked the same question instead of us as individuals, if we asked the same question of us as a church. When was the last time we did something together for, a, for the first time? What would we point to? What would we say was, was the last time we did something new? It might be that we did the generous buckets this year. We started that in January. Every week we come to church, we, everybody brings a dollar. You put the dollar in the bucket. At the end of the month, that money that's been accumulated goes to bless somebody. We, we call it creating stories of God's amazing grace. We want somebody to know the grace of God through that. And, and as a result, you've contributed and we've blessed a lot of people. Individually, you know, those dollars don't seem like much. I mean, basically, you have to decide whether or not you're going to buy a bag of candy or you're going to buy yourself a soda or you're going to give the dollar to the generous bucket. But there's power when we give together, just as there is power when you and I serve together, when we work together. And that is a lesson that goes all the way back to the story of the Exodus. We're going to look in Exodus chapter 18 today which is a story that continues to affect you and me. It is a story of Moses' encounter with a man named Jethro. Okay, it's not that Jethro, but I knew I had to do that because you would be thinking of that Jethro the whole time if I didn't. This Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. He is a priest. He is not a priest of, of Moses' God. He's not a priest of our God, Jehovah God. He is a priest of Midian. Who were, who were the people of Midian? The Midianites. The Midianites were kind of like, well, they were kind of like stepbrothers to the children of Israel. Abraham was their father, but Sarah was not their mother. They were stepbrothers to the, the people of Israel. They worshipped a different God. They traveled a different path. And sometimes it helps to get that outside perspective, doesn't it? Someone who's not there in the middle of the mess that you've got. To get somebody in there who has an outside perspective and an outside opinion. And the advice that Jethro gives Moses is found there in Exodus 18, verses 1 through 27. It's on page 59. If you want to use those Bibles we're going to, uh, that we provided for you, 
So what's happening in this story? Let me get you caught up because it's been a couple of weeks. Israel has left Egypt. We saw two weeks ago in, in chapter 13 that they had left Egypt. A chapter later, they crossed the Red Sea, and so they've begun that journey. Now, before they left, apparently Moses had some concerns. First of all, he knew the Egyptian army would be on their tails, and that could go bad. He also knew that there would be a lot of difficulties as they traveled along the way, and things could go, go wrong there. He also knew that, well, there's a chance that these people could rebel. There's a chance that they could get upset. There's a chance that they could turn on him. And, and apparently Moses did not want to take any chances. And so he sent his wife, Zipporah, and their two sons back to stay with his father-in-law, Jethro. And, and I, you can just imagine that Jethro's just had a blast. I mean, he's, he's got the grandkids with him. He's probably taking them out for ice cream every day. You know, don't tell your dad, you know, we're going to spoil your, your lunch today. And he's taking them to the park, and they're having all kinds of fun. He's tickling them and wrestling with them and having a great time with his grandkids. But, but now it's time to take them back to Moses. So he loads them up in the station wagon or whatever they've got back then, and, and, uh, and he takes them back out. They wander out into the wilderness, and he finds his son-in-law, Moses, camping out, eating manna, drinking water out of a rock, and, uh, and he finds them out there in the middle of the woods, uh, out there in the middle, middle of the wilderness. And Jethro is a wise man, and he is a good father-in-law. He doesn't just drop the kids off and say goodbye. He spends some time with his son-in-law, helping him and talking with him and giving him some advice and some counsel. We, we all need people like that in our lives, don't we? people who can step back and see the situation from a different perspective. And so Moses gives Jethro, or Jethro gives Moses, excuse me, three gifts through his perspective. They are gifts that we also need. Gifts that will see us through as we travel from here to there. Now the first gift really is the first thing that you need every morning of your life. Every day, every morning before anything else, you need the ability to see the good things that God has brought today. very first thing you need is the ability to see the good things that God has brought today. Chapter 18 is pretty short, but it's a very important chapter in the development of Moses' leadership. In fact, Jethro's advice here in chapter 18, it does more than just impact Moses. It continues to impact Israel all through their history. His advice impacted Jesus. It impacted the apostles. It impacted the early church. It even continues to impact us. But before we get his advice, we have to look at his outlook. We have to look at the way Jethro viewed his world and this situation that his son-in-law was in. There are always going to be problems, aren't there? There's always going to be difficulties. There's always going to be challenges. But the big mistake we make is when we view the problems first, when we see the problems before we see anything else. Look at verse 1. Look at the first 12 verses in Exodus 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, he heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, and along with her two, her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. The name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, he said the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. 
Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, this is what he said, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Did you notice that? I am coming with your wife and her two sons with her. Doesn't that sound like a father-in-law sometimes? You know, it's not, it's not your sons. Those are, those are my daughter. Those are mine, you know. He kind of, he kind of has that there in, in that. I'm coming with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they, and they asked each other of their welfare. And then they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for the sake of Israel. The hardship that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good the Lord had done to Israel in that, in, in that his, he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And then Jethro says this in verse 10. Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and a sacrifice to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Did you notice the first thing that Jethro notices? Did you see the first thing that Jethro notices there? In verse 9, Jethro saw, he rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel. And then in verse 11, Jethro says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Jethro could have seen wilderness. He could have said, what a, what a fine son-in-law you are, Moses. Uh, your wife's living in a tent. You, you don't have a home. You don't own this land. You're just wandering around this land. You're eating manna, this bread from heaven. You're eating it every day. You're drinking water out of a rock. What kind of a life is this? He could have loaded the kids up and took them back and said, I'll take care of them. You know, you're an unfit father. But he, he doesn't see that. Instead, he saw the goodness of God. And he saw the greatness of God's call on Moses' life and on the lives of his people. There's a lesson for us. How often do we focus first on the negative? How often do we see the problems first? We say, well, this is wrong. Or that's wrong. And we see problems with, with other people. We see problems with our plans. We see problems with our programs. We see problems with, well, we see problems with our church. Here's the danger. The danger is this. If the first thing you see is the problem, all you will ever see is the problem. Right? If the first thing you see is a problem, all you will ever see is problems. Where there is a void in your life, where there is an emptiness, an empty spot in your life, negativity will fill that void, which is why you have to keep fueling your life with positive stuff. You have to keep fueling with positive. So negativity can't expand. If there's a void, the negativity will expand and fill that void. So you have to keep that void filled with positive thoughts, positive feelings, positive actions. 
Did you know that at least 75 times in the Bible, at least 75 times, we are commanded to give thanks? We're commanded to give. It's not just a holiday, it's a command. 75 times, more than that, in the Bible, we are commanded to give thanks. In all circumstances, in any and all circumstances, we are commanded to give thanks. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, the Apostle John speaks of God's command to love one another. And in 1 John 5.3, John says of God, His commands are not burdensome. His commands don't wear us out. His commands don't wear us down. His commands are not burdensome. The reason God's commands, like the command to give thanks in all circumstances, is not a burden is because you and I were designed by God to give thanks. We were designed to be thankful for what we receive from Him. He, he made us in such a way as to give thanks. Now, Thanksgiving is coming up at the end of this week on Thursday. Did you know it is psychologically, or it is physiologically impossible, physiologically impossible for you to be stressed and grateful at the same time? Did you know that? It is physiologically impossible to be stressed and grateful at the same time. Why? Because God designed us to give thanks. And His commands are not burdensome. His commands do not burden us. It is impossible to be stressed and grateful at the same time. Being grateful floods your body and floods your brain with, with positive endorphins. It boosts your energy. And if you add a little exercise to that, not, not a 100-mile run, mind you, but a little exercise. Like you get up in the morning and take a thankful walk. You ever take a thankful walk? Where you get up in the morning and you just start walking and you thank God for everything you see, for everything that He's given you. Just spend a little time walking and getting those endorphins going and being thankful. That does so much for your health. It does so much for your energy. And the fact is, if you're worn down, if you're tired all the time, if you're stressed all the time, one of the things that that tells me is that you're not thankful all the time. You're not being thankful. Start your morning like Jethro. You see there in verse 11, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Start your morning with what do I know of God's goodness? What do I know about God? What do I know of His greatness? With that positive view in place, then you're able to receive the second gift that Jethro has for Moses, the second gift that we also need, and that is a vision that provides momentum for the future. Jethro sees the greatness of God. He sees how he has set his people free, how he has led them here, how he has provided for them. Now he gets to see his son-in-law in action as Moses conducts the daily business of his people. Look on in verses 13 through 23, just 10 more verses. Verse 13, the next day, the next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. I want to stop right there for a moment. Do you remember chapter 13? We looked at it two weeks ago. In chapter 13, we talked about how God led the people. And in the daytime, when it was light out, during the day, there was a pillar of cloud that went before the people. And at night, there was a pillar of fire. And one of the verses there said, said by, by day they could follow the pillar of cloud, by night they could follow the pillar of fire, so they could follow by day or night. 
Now, what did this first verse just say? Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning to evening. Are they following God? Are they able to follow Him? There's, the, there's that pillar of cloud out, going out ahead of them. They're, they're, they're sitting around. Moses is sitting there standing. They're, they're not following God. You see a problem already? with what's happening here. So Moses sat to judge the people. The people stood around Moses from morning to evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for these people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, it's because the people come to inquire, come to me to inquire of God. When, when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and His laws. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their case to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way that they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from among the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, and of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you. But any small matter, they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. I want you to notice the contrast. Remember back in in verse 9, the first part of verse 9, Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel. Jethro rejoiced for all the good. Now look at verse 17. Jethro says in verse 17, what you are doing is not good. So was was God failing His people? No. But Moses was setting himself up for failure. The way he was working could not last. He needed a vision that would maximize the potential of God's blessing. And I really want you to notice something here. Are they having trouble yet? Well, not really. They're not really having trouble yet. I mean, they're not following the way they're supposed to, but, but everything's working fine. It's a lot of work. Moses has to sit there all day, and the people have to stand around and wait for their case to be heard, but it's a lot of work, but Moses is managing fine. The people stand around and and wait to be heard, but they're handling it. But can they do this for another 40 years? Not get anywhere. Can they do it for another 40 days without driving each other nuts? No. No, they can't. It's coming, and Jethro sees that in verse 18. Jethro says, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. It's coming. It's a a recipe for burnout, for disillusionment, for dissatisfaction, for rebellion. Crisis is ahead. This is a recipe for failure. And that's the amazing thing 
about Jethro's vision here. Jethro saw a problem before it became a problem. And that's something that we need in our lives. We need that in our churches. We, we need that in so many different areas. We need to be able to see problems before they become problems. We need to see that in our marriages. We need to see problems before they become problems. Little, little difficulties in communication, little bad habits, maybe little indiscretions here and there. We need to see those before they become problems. We need to see that with our families. We need to see that in our raising of our kids. If we, if we give them everything that they want, that's not bad when what they want is just a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but, but if we set that up as the pattern, it, it becomes a problem later, doesn't it? We have to look for those things. We we need to see that in our churches also. If we put a plan in place before there is a problem, then we can have momentum for the future. Without it, life ends up being reactionary. And when we're reactionary, we just sit around all day and we listen to problems. Can we be thankful if we're sitting around all day listening to problems? Not, not for very long. When we're reactionary, we can't move forward. Jethro had a plan, a plan of shared leadership. He says, you can't do it all, Moses. Look for able men, men that you can train, that you can equip to serve and lead, and get everyone moving in the same direction, and you will have momentum for the future. If not, there's an old saying, if you keep doing what you've always done, you will keep getting what you've always got, right? Instead, what does this vision promise? Verse 23, he says, if you do this, if you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. And all this people will go to their place in peace. That's what we want, isn't it? To endure no matter what comes our way, no matter what challenges come, what difficulties come, to be able to endure for us to get where, where God is leading and to get there in peace. So ultimately, the gift that Jethro gives his son-in-law and the gift that we receive as we follow God is we receive the gift of a plan, having a plan in place for greater blessing. And again, verse 23, I love, I love the certainty of verse 23. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. And all this people also will go to their place in peace. I love the certainty that's there. It, he, he's not saying, give it a shot. You know, Just give it a shot. If it works, that's great. If it doesn't, pfft, you can always go back to the way you were doing it before. There's a clarity to their, this plan, isn't there? Uh, there? There's a clarity because first we've looked at God's goodness. We've seen God's greatness. And then second, after we've seen God's greatness, second, we've seen the problems. We see the problems before they become problems. Now we have a plan in place to maximize God's blessing. The story concludes there in verses 24 through 27. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and they judged the people at all time. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any smaller matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country." If you pay attention, you'll see a pattern here. 
And you see this pattern repeat all the way through the Bible. Moses chose men, able men, who he could teach, and he trained them in the law of God. If we take that down many, many years later to Jesus, Jesus chose able men. He chose the apostles, and he trained them in the gospel. The apostles later in Jerusalem choose seven to share the work of leading the church and doing the work there in Jerusalem. And then much later, Paul writes to his friends Timothy and Titus, and he tells them, I want you to choose elders and deacons to work in the individual churches. And you and I continue to be blessed by this plan. And that's the point. That's the potential. If we plan for God's blessing, we will see God's blessing. That's what it's about, to have a plan in place for God's blessings. If we plan for God's blessings, we will see God's blessings. And that works in your home, that works on your job, that works in your family, that even works in your retirement. You you can even do that in your retirement. We know that God is good. We know His greatness. If we put that first in our hearts, in our minds, that that fuels our vision to the obstacles that we have to overcome, to overcome the obstacles before they become obstacles. And it sets us up to see God do amazing things for us and through us. This month, we focus on missions giving. We focus on our responsibility to Jesus' great commission. Um, Missions is an important part of what we do at Kansas Christian Church. And we have we have supported missions in some tremendous ways. I want you to know, Kansas Christian Church makes a global impact on missions. So you can look at that, at that map there in the back of the room in the, in, on the auditorium. You can look at those pins. And you can see the impact that we're making. We, we have missions that we support, missions that we work really, really closely with, and missions that we, we absolutely love. Your missions team here, They've chosen those missions very, very carefully. They are missions that we can get behind, missions with visions that we can support. They are also missions that are accountable to us. We know where their money is going. We know the support that we're giving them, what they're doing with that. Uh, They are responsible with the gifts that we give. And they are missions that we can proudly say, we contributed to that. We gave to that. We are a part of that. But did we really? You know, while our church has made a tremendous impact on world missions, has world missions really impacted us? Has it done anything for us? You know, every year, every year we ask you for a commitment to missions. Every year we pass out a card that looks something like this, and we ask you to make a commitment to the missions that that this church supports. As individuals, make a commitment to the mission, to giving to missions. You know, whether you do that at a one-time gift, whether you're just praying about missions, whether you're doing that on a monthly basis, however you want to do it, make a commitment to missions as individuals and as a family. Now let me be honest with the responses. Let me be honest with you about the responses on these cards. The dollar amount is pretty impressive. If we were just counting dollars, it's amazing what this church goes to support. But the number of these cards that we get back, each card represents an individual or an individual family. The number of cards we get back 
really represents maybe not even 10% of the total attendance at this church, the total number of people in this church. Not even 10% of us are giving towards missions. If we're just counting, if we're just counting nickels, it's pretty good. If we're counting noses, it's not that great. We're not doing all that well. Uh, but if we're, count, if we're counting contributors, we're coming up short. And even more, it's not sustainable. Sooner or later, those of you who are donating to missions, sooner or later, uh, you, you get to graduate and move on. <laughs> it's not sustainable to do it that way. Sooner or later, it will fall, it will fail. When was the last time you did something for the first time? You know, back in September, we asked you to take tithing seriously. We asked you to take God's, uh, God's call to give 10% back seriously, and, and many of you did. In fact, uh, some of you for the very first time, but based on the responses we got, and we got a lot of responses, more, much more than just 10%, we got a lot of responses on that card, on those cards, and the vast majority of people who responded committed to the tithe, to at least 10% going back to the church, going back to, to God. That's an amazing commitment. Some of you did that for the first time. The clear majority committed to the tithe. Now, your elders looked at that, and then they looked at how we give to missions with just individual contributions. And they saw something was missing. We've asked you to tithe, to give that 10%, but as a church... As a body, are we committed to the tithe? Are we committed to honoring God? So when was the last time we did something for the first time? We as a, as a body, we as a church, as the body of Christ. Your elders prayed, your elders sought God, and your elders have made a commitment. And the commitment is this. In addition to your individual commitment to missions, which you ought to make, in addition to each and every individual commitment to the missions of this church that you make through those cards, above those commitments, 10% of the general fund of this church will go to missions. We are tithing back to God what He has given us through you. 10% of the general fund will go to missions. Every single person who gives to this church will be a part of missions. Will be a part. Isn't that wonderful? You should, you should clap. I really think you should clap for that. Your elders worked so hard on that. 10% is going back into missions. Every single person in this church, every last soul, will make a global impact on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a vision. Not just for the missions giving in this church, that is a vision for the future of the kingdom of God. Because by committing as a body to the global impact of the church, we are in a place, we have positioned ourselves in a place of greater blessing. Greater blessing to this world because with more funds going to missions, the gospel is taken to new places. The gospel is going to new places. The new people are going to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And greater blessing as a church, as God blesses our commitment and our giving, and as we suddenly have a personal interest in what's going on where those pins are, 
You're giving, and you're going to be praying, and you're going to be interested, and you're going to be hearing from a lot of those ministries and a lot of those people about what's going on. If we plan for God's blessings, we will see God's blessings. That doesn't just apply to the church. That applies to your life. It applies to your home. It applies to your family. It applies to your retirement. It applies in so many ways. If all you see is negative... If all you see is, well, this won't work, this can't work, then you've not positioned yourself to see God's blessing. Look for His goodness first. Look for His greatness. Look at what He's doing here in your life and in the life of this church, and then watch for the blessings that He brings. And be ready to receive those blessings. Be ready to act on those blessings and commit to those blessings. There's a picture on the cover of your bulletin, and it's taken from the Scripture that we've looked at today, Jethro responded and said, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. You look at that picture on the front of a little girl being fed, and what's her response? Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. I want someone like that to know that because Kansas Christian Church gave. But I also want you to know that because you've been a part of what God is doing. Let's stand together and pray. Father, may we be people who can say with certainty, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. And may we know that You are greater than anything that could compete for our attention or our devotion. But Father, to be that kind of people takes the kind of vision that puts You and Your purposes first in our lives. I thank You for the commitment that we're making as a church to do that. And Lord, in our own lives and in our own families, I pray that we seek Your greatness first. I pray we focus on the good that You give us so that we can give ourselves back to You completely. Lead us this week, this Thanksgiving week, into greater expressions of our gratefulness to you, to your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.